0: Friends, if you're struggling for seats seat up there, there's some lovely spare seats in the middle. Oh, that's very exciting. Hello. One, two, one, two, I'm here. Are you there? use this one if need be. Could be interesting. So it's a delight to meet uh, you this morning. We've not forgotten there is going to be a Bible reading. Don't worry, uh, we just thought it would be better part way through the sermon this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Martin Saunders. I'm the vicar of this place, this parish, uh, and it's a delight to include everybody here today. So last week, those of you that were here uh, would have heard Harry Parsons uh, helpfully enabling us to think again about our purpose on earth once we become followers of Jesus. That is, to enable other people to also become. This could be interesting. Shall we use this one? Yeah, okay. Um, Last week we looked at, um, Harry helped us to think about how, um, why are we left on earth once we become followers of Jesus? uh, And that uh, our purpose is to enable other people to also become followers of Jesus. So, how do we do that? Uh, partly, as Harry said, we need to learn to look at and treat other people in the same way as Jesus did, so with compassion, with an understanding that they are spiritually dead, and thus with an urgency to bring them to life. When we see people for who they could become, then we're motivated to help them rather than scared off by potential adverse reactions. Now, I think it's fair to say that the words of Jesus were not the only way in which he communicated or wanted his followers to be like him. His attitudes to others and his actions were all part of what was in mind when Jesus declared his mission statement. So, for example, we get that at the start of Mark's gospel, uh, and it reads like this. After John was put in prison, so Jesus went into Galilee uh, proclaiming the good news of God. He said, the time has come near, the kingdom, the time has come, sorry, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. This, um, this message then, this good news that we have also, is that the kingdom of God has come near. So whatever it's like in heaven, that's now near or close at hand to those who are on earth. So in heaven, there's no sickness, in heaven There are worshippers in heaven. There are people who have put their faith in Jesus. In heaven, there's joy and peace. And all that is available, is close at hand, to those who inhabit the earth, who are also followers of Jesus. The response then, from what Jesus said, is to repent and believe the good news. Now, this word, repent, Um, isn't necessarily about a a turning from past ways initially. It's actually more about a turning to. So the Greek word is metanoia. Um, It's about a big thinking. We use meta in the terms of, say, metadata, big data, or metamorphosis, how a caterpillar turns um, into a butterfly. So it's about a big change. Big is meta. And then noia is about thought or mind. So we sometimes talk of paranoia as somebody who perhaps overthinks things. So, a big thing, a big change of, of how oh, perhaps open your eyes would be one way to see this. Open your eyes and see this new reality that the kingdom of God is now accessible to those on earth. So, the, yes, the kingdom of God is near, that whatever heaven is like, that's coming to earth. And our, the response Jesus asks for is open your eyes to this new reality, change your thinking, and believe this good news. Now, Mark doesn't set these words of Jesus in a particular venue or place. I think we have to say it's a summary in Mark's mind of the kind of things Jesus often said and the focus of what he was trying to convey. Whereas Luke, who also wrote one of the Gospels, one of those retellings of the life of Jesus, when when he thought about things, he put a particular incident from the life of Jesus as illustrating the purpose of why Jesus was on earth. So for Luke, that was when Jesus went to the synagogue, so the place of worship in his hometown. And that's at, we read that at Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 21. And I believe, if Cheryl's read her emails, which she has, that she's all set to read these verses to us this morning.
1: He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. On rolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, And recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing.
0: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Cheryl. So, Jesus, as I said, went to the synagogue, his, his place of worship, in his hometown, and was offered the opportunity to read. He read then from the Old Testament, what we think of as the Old Testament, the first half of our Bibles, which was all that had already been written when Jesus walked on earth. He read from the words of Isaiah, who was a prophet who wrote a lot about the coming of the Messiah. Uh, That is, that the Messiah will be the one who will save the world from its rebellion against God and his ways. So here's a slide, which I'm not expecting to take in, which gives you some of the things that Isaiah predicted about the Messiah. It's a small sample Uh, And already we filled the page in text that's too small for you really to take in. Um, But so these are some of the statements in Isaiah about the coming Messiah, the the Savior of the world. And remember that Isaiah as a book was written kind of five, six, seven hundred years before Jesus was born. So Jesus read from that book and then declared, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, that which Jesus read is coming true. So, what exactly did Jesus read? Because that makes it quite important, doesn't it? The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So, let's get this clear. This is what Jesus did. He did all this. And we'll look at this in a minute but then he asks us to follow him and in doing so become like him so we too can see these words as our example of how we are called to be as followers of Jesus. So let's take the the phrases a bit at a time. Jesus starts um, in Isaiah at the spirit of the Lord is on me or upon me. And it's worth remembering that we who are followers of Jesus, we who have believed in Jesus, also have the Spirit of God with us. So, for example, uh, at Ephesians, uh, we read this. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, that is the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So when we come to faith, God says, great, let me put my spirit in you because I've pre-decided I want to spend eternity with you. And God doesn't change his mind and so God sends his spirit, who resides with us, and it's, he is then, more than this, but, also, but in these terms, a deposit that guarantees that we will spend eternity with God in heaven. So it's nothing to do with how good we continue to be. It's all down to God's choosing to say yes to you when you come to faith. And I find this just really encouraging. Because that means however badly I mess up, God's put his spirit in me as a deposit guaranteeing that I'll still go to heaven. But yes, God's spirit then niggles at me and helps me to understand where I've gone wrong and helps me to change and challenges me to change and challenges me to new ways of being. But actually, my eternal destiny is not in doubt. And it's the same for each of us who are followers of Jesus. Do I get an amen? Amen. Oh, good. You are still awake. That's good. Um, Now, I think it brings two things. One is a major challenge, but also a major encouragement. I drifted off from my my pre-written text, so maybe I'm repeating myself here. The major challenge is that knowing that God, by his Spirit, is with us in all situations, I think that means that for some of us, there are some situations and some conversations that we might actually have differently, or some situations we might not choose to be part of if we were to explicitly remember that God, by his Spirit, is with us all the time. Not just Sunday mornings, but all the time. Okay? So it's a major challenge in one area, in one way, to remember that God is with us. But equally, as I've said, it's a major encouragement to think that actually God, the presence of God, is with us wherever we go, means that however hopeless a situation is, however broken a situation might appear to be, so God is with us. And as we'll see... He's with us and willing and wanting to bring change for the better. So we can carry, if you like, we can carry hope and meaning and purpose even into the most hopeless and meaningless and purposeless situations that we find ourselves in. So we can be carriers of joy. Even more so than we are carriers of our mobile phones these days. So the spirit of the Lord is upon me, said Jesus, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And there are times when I go, out. So that's not to proclaim good news to the rich then. Do the rich need good news? Yes, of course they do. But actually the downtrodden, those who are unjustly dealt with, those who are facing justice, God wants us to bring good news instead of their bad news. God wants us to bring justice instead of injustice. God wants us to bring hope where there is no hope. It's not to say that the rich are excluded, but I think there are often numerous instances where wealth can be a distraction from the good news. So, for example, in in Matthew 19, there's a passage about a rich man who comes to see Jesus, uh, and he he says, well, what must I do to to inherit eternal life? Uh, And Jesus says, well, follow the commandments, and the rich man, in slightly audaciously, says, Well, I've followed thee since I was a young man. And Jesus then says, Well, go sell all your possessions. Give them to the poor. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. So there are times, I think, where wealth can often be a distraction from the good news. Again, at, par- at Matthew 13, there's the parable of the sower, you know, where the farmer scatters seed profligately on many different types of soil, rocky soil, thorny, good soil, even the path. I often think of this when Jesus is telling this story, that the the, the farmers, you know, we we read in, so for example in Isaiah, uh, how the the norm was to to plough furrows with oxen and have nice straight lines, and then the farmer would go along and plant one seed at a time, neatly spaced, and Jesus tells a story of this farmer that just goes chucking seed everywhere. And you can imagine the crowd in uproar as Jesus describes this farmer. Um, and, and actually the seed is the word of God. So part of that calling is that actually we're called to, to, to be profligate in telling about how amazing God is. In all the situations we come into, whether they seem like good soil or whether they seem like thorny soil. But actually, the seed that fell among the thorns, said Jesus, refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Ouch. Again, I say, ouch. How does that work? It's not wealth per se, remember. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. But actually, I am reminded that there are times when if you have financial resources to find health, to find warmth, to buy new washing machines, whatever it might be, then you don't actually need to pray to God for provision for these things. And so sometimes those that are rich lack those opportunities to grow in faith. And if you don't believe me, give it all away and try again. (laughs) And don't forget, you can't just say it's all mine because you can't take any of it with you. Remember, though, that Jesus had some rich backers, people who paid his costs as he traveled around, and people like Joseph of Arimathea, who's described as a rich man and a disciple or follower of Jesus. He's the one who, who organized the burial of Jesus in Joseph's own tomb. So as I say, it's not wealth is wrong, it's the attitudes of possession rather than stewardship. So let's go back to our original text, um, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We who are followers of Jesus, we who have the Spirit of God resident within us, are to proclaim good news then, especially to the poor. To proclaim, that is to tell, primarily, but also to be good news. To be God to those who have no God. To be hope to those who have no hope, to show the values of the kingdom of God present on earth acceptance, love, forgiveness, holiness, generosity, and so on. So I ask you, how are you doing at that? How are you proclaiming good news? How are you being good news in these days? Getting the impression we might need some more air in here. Everybody's a bit dozy. So, Jesus goes on and says, He's sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Now, Jesus didn't empty the jail cells, did he? So, we're talking here about a sense of spiritual freedom. Those who are trapped in some way need not to be. We can all think free, even those that are physically in prison. We can find joy in the Lord. In fact, we're told that the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's a quote from Nehemiah chapter 8. Um, following God brings us to a place of freedom. Remember, um, Paul at Galatians talks about It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't be burdened again, says Paul, by a yoke of slavery. So we are called to be people who proclaim freedom. Freedom to those who are captive captured by their past, captured by their false hopes, captured by whatever it might be. We're to proclaim freedom. Freedom for the prisoners and also recovery of sight for the blind. Now Jesus did make the physically blind to see and he made the lame to walk and um, we still see that in all sorts of places across this world and in this community at times too. And at one point, Jesus said the same to his disciples as he sent them out. In Luke chapter 10, he sent them out in twos and he said to them, heal those who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. I think there's nothing to stop us seeing us having that same commission, to be people who heal those who are ill. And notice, by the way, it's to heal the sick. It's not to pray for the sick, but to bring about their healing. To my mind, it's about commanding healing, but also it's also recognizing that there is a miracle that is modern medicine, uh, as well as telling or commanding sickness to leave somebody's body. So that's more of what we're called to be as those who are followers of Jesus, proclaim freedom to recovery of sight, but then to set the oppressed free. It's a, a little different to proclaiming freedom for prisoners Because actually oppression has a spiritual element to it, doesn't it? There's something about those who are demon-possessed who were freed from that oppression. We might come across people who are oppressed or even possessed. Uh, Jesus came to break the chains of bondage of these things too. And we too can find freedom from that. It was James in his letter, James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and... He will flee from you. Come near to God, and God will come near to you. So resist the devil, and he will flee from you, because we've submitted ourselves to God. That's the kind of thing we're called to be, to be freed from oppression, and to bring others to that point too. So we're called to be bringers of the message of freedom from oppression but two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, a year in, in biblical terms uh, is a bit of a kind of thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. So it's a season, shall we put it. And I think that season of the Lord's favor spiritually started with Jesus coming to earth and will end at that point when... Um, Jesus returns, and the second coming happens uh, in in this this season, this year, if you like. So, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 puts it like this. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. One way to think about that, then, is to say that the favor of God is that we have the possibility of being saved, as in the, now is the day of salvation. And we have that opportunity all the while we live on this earth to return or turn to Jesus, to recognize his offer of free gift, of free life, of freedom from our, the consequences of our sins and we have to we are called to say yes to that gift and in doing so we unwrap the gift and we discover just how much god loves us that he actually wants to spend eternity with you some of you who are married know that sometimes holidays can be interesting god wants to spend eternity with you not just 2 weeks to so take hold of that gift and know His favour towards you. I think for me, there is a link to um, back to the Old Testament, where Moses is working with, uh, or God is working with Moses, and telling him how to bless God's people. Uh, and, and He says, God says to Moses to say to the Israelites, "This is how you are to bless them." Say to them, he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about. God turns his face towards you. Don't turn your face away from God. Because actually it's as we turn... God turns His face towards us, and we recognise that. So we discover God's peace. We discover His love. We discover His blessing towards us. We discover too His purpose for us, which is to be people who recognise that the Spirit of the Lord is on us. Who recognise that because He has anointed us to, pro- he, and because the Lord is on us. Sorry, He anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent us to proclaim freedom for captives, and so on and so on. So those of us who are followers of Jesus, we carry the presence of God wherever we go. We can be people who bring justice. We can be people who bring healing, who bring deliverance from oppression. We can be people who bring salvation and thus peace into people's lives. These are the things that Jesus did. These are the things his followers are called to do. Will you then be obedient? And if not, what stops you? What change is God calling you to today? Those of you who are alert at the beginning saw the title as being Shine Bright Like a Diamond. And in see you indeed, will you indeed shine bright like a diamond? Because of your love for Jesus. In a few minutes, Pamela will renew her baptism vows and make commitments to following God. We all have the opportunity to say those same words, not just to make a bigger sound, but to say it for ourselves, because we want to recommit to following Jesus. And if you want to commit for the first time, then do say the words when they come on screen, but also let's talk, because I'll be hanging around on the path at the end, at least briefly. Thank you.